Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey, hey, Rockstar SLPs. This is Felice Clark, the Dabbling Speechy. We are on episode 62 of the Real Talk SLP podcast. And today I'm going to be talking about five ways to be overwhelmed. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Please tell me you have because there's, there's been many seasons in my career as a speech pathologist where I have felt overwhelmed. And when overwhelm comes knocking at my door, it doesn't just stop by to drop off some treats and say hi. It it somehow manages to get in my house and stay there for like three weeks, eating all my snacks, making messes in every single room so that when I want to kick them out, I'm left with like this, this like, what happened? This tornado effect in my life. Um, and, and I'm going... This isn't fair. This is not fair that overwhelm can come in and just wreak havoc on your routine and your productivity and and the joy in the job. And, And unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, especially school-based SLPs. I think speech pathologists in all different settings, hospitals, um, in the, you know, in the college arena, in the private practice, everyone's feeling overwhelmed. But I think particularly with the school-based speech pathologists, we feel overwhelmed because so many things are coming at us at once. And it's not like we can't go, well, that's not my specialty. So uh, let me give you some recommendations for another therapist. Uh, We take whatever comes our way. We do it willingly and as best we can. But a lot of SLPs serve kindergarten to middle school caseloads. You know, that's a wide range. We serve a variety of disorders. We have high caseloads and workloads. We manage and, and collaborate with a lot of different staff. So to say that we don't face overwhelm on a daily basis uh, is it's our norm, right? And there's definitely periods. I remember when I had a caseload of 75 plus where I was like, I'm going to die. And then, you know, a week or two would pass after that feeling and I would get a little bit of a breath and I would be able to kind of get myself back on track. Um, but usually with my big caseloads, what was the biggest driving force for overwhelm was when all the paperwork, you know, is coming at you at once, got meetings all over the place. Next thing you know, there's some sort of like conflicts. There's conflicts with staff. There's conflicts maybe with the parent, or it's not just like one kid is having a really hard time. Many kids on your caseload are struggling. And and when, when you have consecutive therapy sessions that are not going well, it really can bring you down. It can make you feel overwhelmed. It's too much to manage. So if you are feeling like this at all, I don't want to say it's normal because I wish it wasn't normal, but it's, it, you're not the only one that's dealing with this. 
And this is something that everyone has to go through. So we're going to talk about five ways that we can be overwhelmed. And before I jump into that, I want to let you know about a free checklist that I made specifically for doing my progress reports. So anytime that I start to really get overwhelmed managing my caseload, once the fog clears, I like to take a step back and go, okay, what was making me procrastinate and be paralyzed to not take next step in getting the things I need to get done? And so progress reports, one of the things that was really getting in the way of me just being efficient with them and feeling like I can do this and jumping into them because they kind of can get a little bit hard (laughs) is I had to make myself a checklist and almost like a task analysis checklist where it was like, take data on goals, write the progress in the goals, (laughs) make the progress report, print it out, put it in an envelope. I had to make steps for each part of the way for each student. And in this way, if I had 15 minutes where I wasn't seeing students, um, I could jump into some of the progress report stuff at knowing where I left off with another student or knowing that I needed to take data on another student. So I will link that in the show notes for you. It's a free checklist. And I'll put another blog post link to how you can get your progress reports done and some ideas and resources that you can use to uh, do progress reports so that they're a little bit more efficient. They're they just, I, and then the other tip I did for that was I started planning those out or, you know, ahead of time so that I had the time to really have the data that helped a lot. All right. So five ways to be overwhelmed. So the first way, I know it sounds really silly, and but this is your reminder to keep it simple. Keep the therapy simple. Because when you have all these other things that you have to juggle with report writing and all that your your therapy has to be simple in terms of how you're planning. You're not going to want to get on Instagram or Pinterest and start looking on how to make, you know, elaborate DIY materials or buying stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers that is way a lot of prep, right? So you can still do themes you can still do your favorite toys and books and activities, but you just might need to scale it back. As long as you have a book or as long as you have a toy or as long as you have some digital YouTube videos that you can cover a lot of different groups, your students are going to have a good day in therapy. They're going to be engaged and you're not going to be stressed out with planning a, this giant elaborate lesson. Now, I will say, and I've seen some SLPs share this as well, it's okay to pull out a craft. It's okay to do a sensory bin if prepping that kind of helps you de-stress and it brings you joy and it helps you get back to that joyful place where you're enjoying your therapy. So I have done that before. Um, And if I do do a craft or I do decide that I want to commit to making a sensory bin, I try to use that craft or that sensory bin with as many groups as I possibly can because I'm not going to put in all that work and then just use it once. I'm going to use it for two weeks, three weeks. So keep it simple. You know, the time to do all the fun extra stuff, it will come. 
there will be a time when you're feeling energized and excited to do that. And a lot of times what else I'll do is I will look around my room and go, okay, what do I already have prepped? What task cards do I already have? What picture scenes do I already have? How can I take this one little activity and make it be a little bit different so that the kids think that something new and novel, but it's really the same thing that you've always been doing. And so, for example, with my uh, themed grammar and vocabulary sets, I have these picture action sheets that are, no, you know, you just print them and they're ready to go. But maybe I'm using the cards, I'm hiding magnetic chips underneath, and we're playing a game to see who can find the most magnetic chips, and they don't know how many are under each card. Maybe you're going to play the flashlight game with those same cards, or you're going to use Play-Doh to cover up the pictures on the mats. So it's just switching out, you know, one material or prop with the same cards or picture scenes or bingo cards that you have, whatever it is. Okay. All right. So let's move on to the second way that you can be overwhelmed. And that is really prioritizing your, your basic self-care needs. I hate to say this, because it's like, wow, we're really not taking care of our basic self-care needs. At least for me, I know that when I'm overwhelmed, I tend to stay up late. And sometimes it'll be just like mindlessly watching TV or do, you know, not doing anything because I'm so like overwhelmed. And then I have to wake up super early and I'm not prepared because I didn't, you know, make my breakfast in time. So I'm rushing out the door, you know, those were the things that I noticed was culprit of overwhelm. So when I start to know that I have a lot of deadlines, a lot of things coming in at once, and I'm starting to feel overwhelmed, I go to bed earlier. I force myself not to watch a show. I will take a hot bath and just kind of deep compress, or I'll make time to just read a book, you know, whatever to help keep me calm. So I get to bed on time. Um, I will either go and prep a bunch of my lunches or I, or I'll know like, you know what? I just can't, like, if I have to make my lunch, it's not going to be good. So what I will do is I will go, you know, maybe bulk up for the week and have all my lunches pre-ready so I could just grab them and go. And I don't have to worry about that, that prep piece. Cause I know I'm going to have to prep dinner. Right. Um, and so those are things that I did. And I know if you are a mom, especially, you know, your day doesn't end or a dad, if you're a mom or a dad, your day doesn't end after you leave work. You spend all day giving to your kids and then now you have to go home and take care of your own kids. And so what I would also do is I would try, if I didn't feel the energy to get up and go early to the gym, or if I couldn't, you know, if I couldn't in my schedule do a workout class, I would try to come home and immediately just get the kids outside for some outdoor weather so I could get some vitamin D, get away from the house, and just detox a little bit before it was time to prep dinner. And I remember um, <laughs> this, this one overwhelming, stressful time, I remember my husband was like, I would just come home grumpy and he's like you know if you find yourself you know really 
having a hard time, maybe go to Starbucks for like an hour because we'd much rather have you, you know, fresh and ready to go. So he was like, just don't come to the house <laughs> until you've taken some time for yourself. And I thought that was really loving. I, I chuckle because it was, you know, when you're so like in it, you're like, oh, it's it's that bad. So it's that bad that that you don't, you'd rather have me not go home. <laughs> but yeah, it was really good advice because it also gave me permission to ask my husband or tell my husband, hey, I'm having a really hard day. Do you mind helping prep dinner so that I can go work out or I can go just sit at a coffee shop or can I go, you know, shopping or do something outside of work? So that was really, that really helps when you really put a priority on your self-care. Um, okay. And self-care can also mean on the weekends, don't you, you're not bringing work home. You're going and doing something fun for yourself. And I think sometimes when we get so stressed out because we have all these deadlines, we bring the work home and then it becomes this habit of always bringing work home. And the next thing you know, we don't see our friends and we don't go places and do things that we like. So try to put some boundaries on bringing work home. Um, I only say do work at home if it's going to help you get ahead so that you can leave work on time the next day or, you know, you're, you're all done with it. So you can really just enjoy your school week. If it's going to help lessen your stress, then Sometimes bringing work home is okay, but if you're doing it every single day and every single weekend, your workload's too much and you shouldn't do that. All right. The third way to beat overwhelm is to have a plan. You need to carve out some time on Sunday evening or Monday morning and make a weekly plan. And so what I used to do this worked for me is I would have my schedule for my sites. So I usually typically cover two sites. Uh, one of the days would be assessment day and the other, the other, and then I'd be at the sites two days a week. So I had a, like a, a schedule for each of my sites. And then I had an overall kind of like schedule, like this is where I'm at with, with the therapy groups, with what was going on. So what I would do is I would look at my schedule for the week and I would plug in, cause you know how we all have those funky times where we're not seeing a student for 20 minutes. I would plug in what I'm going to do at that time. I'm going to call Mr. Smith back he called me yesterday, or I'm going to progress monitor two kids in the first grade class during that time. So that way I know what I'm going to do with my time. So I'm not just sitting there trying to remember what was I going to do after I saw, you know, after I was doing therapy for two hours. Um, and then at the end of the day, I write in, you know, if I have IEP meetings, if I have chunks of time where there would be certain days where I would have like a weird chunk of time. I knew I was writing a report at that time, or I knew I was going to be writing goals for an IEP because I plugged it in. I knew which kids were coming up. I knew, okay, I got to set up the interpreter. Um, I had that all scheduled out because I do that weekly schedule. And so when you have, a, I, I like using Google Docs for my schedule because I can have a master schedule and then every week I can change it. And then I print it out 
and I keep it with me on my binder. So every time I see a student, I can check if they were here or not. And I can take notes on what happened so that if I have to transfer that or document that, it's there. And then each week I can create a new schedule. So having it written down helps me to remember the most important things I need to get done for the day. That'd be my other like little mini tip for having a plan is write down your must three things for the day or for the week. So that way, when you're like, what do I do after school? Would I, you know, miraculously don't have a meeting or something? What can I do for that 45 minutes that I'm going to stay after, after school? What am I going to get done? And that way, this can also allow you to batch IEPs if you can, uh, because your brain's already in that mode of like, okay, I got to write goals. So, you know, when you have a plan, you can batch things out or you can plan your therapy for the month. You know, those are the types of things that you can do when you have it written down. So it really does help. I think it's probably overwhelming if you're just starting it in the midst of it all. So if you're in crisis, overwhelm mode, I would just write down your must three things for the day until you get through that that hard period of time. All right. So the fourth way that you can beat overwhelm is do not commit to doing all sorts of new things. Okay. Do not commit to doing all sorts of new things. Do not commit to saying you're going to start pushing into a classroom two days a week with a certain teacher. Do not commit to a bunch of new activities outside of work even that you're going to have to get into a routine for. You're in an overwhelmed place. So don't say that you're going to go make some visuals for a teacher or that you are going to try all these different new methods that you learn from a training, you know, pick one thing maybe that you want to implement for the week. But when you're in a state of overwhelm, you got to push and beat that, get through that so that you can be fresh to try some of these things. So when we try to do too many new things at once, we're going to not follow through. We're, we're going to say we're going to push in. And then if we if we start canceling because we realize, oh, my gosh, I have six assessments due and I can't go into that classroom like I said I would. And now the impression that you're going to have on that teaching staff is, oh, this speech pathologist always flakes or oh, they say they're going to make those visuals. They never did. <laughs> and so I found that when. I know things are going to get a little hectic. I'm not going to try new things until I can really put the focus and commitment to doing that. And so I'm going to keep kind of not doing the same things, but I'm going to work through that. And then when I have, when I get through all those assessments and those meetings, I'm going to then try to work on implementing a new strategy with, with a couple of groups. So tip number four. Don't commit to doing all sorts of new things when you are in a state of overwhelm, all right? So we have keep it simple, prioritize your self-care, make a weekly or daily plan. Don't do anything new until you're you're out of the funk. (laughs) And my last way to beat overwhelm is embrace the fails. 
you're going to be failing in therapy, possibly. I mean, we do it even when we're not overwhelmed, but there's going to be failures. There's going to be things that you're not hitting the mark. And it's, it's overwhelming when that happens too, because we all don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to fail. And so what I have found for myself is when I can at least own it, say, okay, I'm going to try better next time. I made a mistake or I didn't get that thing that I needed to get done for that teacher, or maybe I didn't say something correctly, or, you know, I, that lesson flopped. Okay. I'm having a hard time. It will get better. Right. And when I embrace the fails, I've also found that by doing that, I can also just let some of my teachers know yeah, I'm feeling really stressed out. I'm really struggling right now. And when I do that, that's kind of like my way of also saying, hey, can you have my back? Can you, you know, right now I, I'm pushing through some overwhelm and I may not be my best. So, and, and it gives me a little, when I communicate that with my team members, number one, it helps them to know that I'm not like this superhuman person, um, that I rely on them and that I value them but also it helps me to feel a little bit more confident too that like, hey, if you don't see me at my best, just know that I'm working through it and I don't want this to be something that stays. And and, and usually when I am in that place and I'm messing up, that my team, and because I've communicated a little bit where I'm at, they always come alongside me and we always get through it. And that it just shows me how much I value and rely on my IEP team. And, you know, it's hard. Sometimes I think going on Instagram and social media and seeing certain therapists showing you like this, like idealistic, like look at these therapy sessions you could be having and thinking that you're the only one failing. You're not. We can't always share every little nitty gritty detail about what we're failing on because of, you know, confidentiality and and things like that. But just know that, (laughs) just trust me, we all fail. And it's how we grow as well. It's how we get better as clinicians. And so when I have allowed myself to fail, just acknowledge it. You know, usually once I get through that, that fog and all the overwhelmed fog and I'm like, okay, it allows me to reflect. It allows me to look at what I could shift and adjust and change and get better at. And so the more that I can just like brush it off the failure and move on and start a new day, the easier it is to get out of that overwhelmed funk. And then when I have an amazing session or amazing breakthrough with a staff member, you enjoy that moment so much more. So just try to embrace the fails. I know it's hard because we like everything to be just so, but anyways, So those are my five ways to beat overwhelm. Let me know on social media or you can email me a tip that you tried that helped you push through that overwhelm. Let me know so that I can hear what's working for you as well. So hang in there. I know a lot of you are just really struggling this year and, you know, and that just stinks. That's, it's just, it's not a fun feeling, right? So I really, really hope that your, your feelings of overwhelm will pass, that you can assess the situation and, you know, 
sometimes we're in situations that there's so many things we can't control and it it creates a little bit of overwhelm there too. So anyways, I could talk about this all day long, but I will let you all go as always. Be the SLP that every kid wants to see and stay inspired. Until next time. Thank you.